All right. So we're diving into a kind of intense topic. As you know, when we started the relationship series, one of the subjects on our main thing was dating and sex. Scary stuff. It's super awkward, and we don't always talk about it. Um, but I want to encourage you that it doesn't need to be awkward, and it doesn't need to be something that you don't talk about. Um, tonight, we're going to unpack a little bit of what I truly believe is God's heart and desire for you as you approach um, intimate relationships and situations throughout your life, whether that be um, here in high school or um, in college or beyond, okay? But a few things that we want to jump into and start to unpack right off the bat. Um, That's a slide. Look at the cute couple. They look happy. It's a strange form of artwork. Um... First of all, I want to address this with you for a second. Is love complicated? Don't, don't, don't use this slide as an example. Is it complicated? What's complicated about it? Is it us or the other person? What do you think? B- both parties? makes it complicated and awkward because you're not, oh, I don't know where they're at, I don't know where I'm at. Especially if we look at it in terms of high school, right? Love, liking the other person, a dating relationship. We make it really complicated. But the idea of love really isn't complicated because we have a whole book about love. Right? We have a whole book about this idea that was set before us and maybe it wasn't an intimate or a romantic love in the way that we look at it or culture perceives it and then changes our perception into looking at it as a sexual love. But in a way, it really is an example of what, what love is. And it's not complicated because, uh, or at least I don't believe it needs to be complicated because it's clearly pointed out in the First Corinthians 13, if you've ever been to a wedding, this is the, the chapter of the Bible they always use, right? They go, First Corinthians 13, this is our example. This is how you love your spouse. This is how we love everyone in our lives around us. This is how we step into relationship and community and love, whether it be um, a brother to a brother or a brother to a sister, or it be um, in a romantic way, right? Love is patient, kind, gentle, humble. When we're displaying those things, or you look at a list of of the different categories that, that are covered under this idea of love, it's not complicated, is it? It's hard to actually be love, right? But the definition itself isn't complicated. We make it really complicated. Like in our heads, in our our hearts, our emotions, our souls. We've made love out to be something that it wasn't ever intended to be when God created it and gave us the example of Jesus on the cross. Or the example of faith saving us in the Old Testament. We'll keep going. We make love weird. And this is when it gets complicated. We turn love into something that's physical. Something that's always and only sexual. Something uh, that's about ourselves or about our feelings. So, uh, let's use an example. I wasn't allowed to date until I was 16 years old. Maybe a common theme across the room. 
grew up in a Christian house. My parents were like, you can't date. I'm not driving you to a date. So they waited until I was 16, right? But I had, I had my eyes on someone in our youth church, and I was like, wow, I was homeschooled, so I didn't have a lot of options. But I was looking at this one individual, and I was like, dang, that is like a really cute girl. She's like what I would think um, you know, my future spouse would look like. I was convinced in my head that someday I would marry this person. Not accurate. It wasn't Jessica, I promise. Um, convinced in my head. I made it really complicated. We made it really complicated because my parents said we couldn't date. We didn't know what love was. We were just like really confused in, in high school. And we made it complicated because we could, I liked her. She liked me. But we weren't a thing yet. We were unofficially a thing, right? You kind of throw all these titles in front of it. It gets more and more complicated because until you're a Facebook official or social media official, Facebook isn't maybe as much for you guys anymore. But in my high school experience, until you were a Facebook official, you were unofficially official. That's what we would say. And then all of a sudden you would be Facebook official or social media official. And finally the girl had the courage to show all her friends by posting a picture on Instagram of the two of you like somehow in the picture together. And it flooded with comments of like, oh my gosh, adorbs. Right? No, it happens. It does. You can't go back and like deleted all the pictures. <laughs> Don't worry. Covered the tracks well. But we made it complicated, right? We make it complicated all the time because we make it these things that it was never intended to be. And that's really easy to do. But as we unpack some of these different things and look at what the Bible says about sex, about love, about um, relationship and what it means to be in a relationship with someone of the opposite gender in a dating relationship. Maybe um, maybe you really are into someone you're like, dang, this is the person I'm going to marry and I'm not going to discount that or discredit it because that very well could be the case at a senior in high school or junior in high school or something. Um, but I want to encourage you not to make it complicated and to look at love through this lens that the Bible gives us. This uncomplicated love of showing um, the First Corinthians 13 love. That is full of peace and joy and humility. Alright. Keeping going. My slides are keeping me on track. This is a really easy sermon to digress a lot. So, let's unpack this first one. To love well, you must first love God well. First John 4, 7, and 8 um, encourage us that the love of God is at the center of all we are. And until we figure out how to love God really well, it's impossible for us to love people well. You can try with all of your might to be the 1 Corinthians 13 boyfriend, girlfriend, friend to anyone in your life. Student, parent, like whoever you are trying to be loved to. You will fail over and over and over again until you are so frustrated with yourself that you don't want to try to love anyone ever again. You have to figure out how to love God well first and be loved by him first. And that's just like the perfect depiction of what love was always intended to be. And it can be really easy. You just kind of like, oh, here he goes off into like the love Jesus thing, right? But I really want to encourage you to take an opportunity to look at how you feel viewed by God. And how that changes the way that you view the people around you. 
whether they be boyfriend, girlfriend, sister, brother, whatever. But let's look at it in, in relation to our future, right? If you are going to college next year or the next few years and you're looking to find that person that you want to spend the rest of your life with, it's a dream of yours to become married, but you haven't allowed God to love you yet, and you don't know what it means to, to feel and reciprocate that love back towards God, it can be really difficult to step into any sport of a successful relationship. In a lot of ways, we can make it work. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know that I fully comprehended this even to the day that I got married. And we have a successful marriage, I would say, to this point. We don't even quite have three years to show for it, but I would say that it, it so far is far from failing. Only because we've taken the time to realize that I can never be everything that she wants me to be. And she can never be everything that I want her to be, but instead we have to trust that God fills in that gap. That we just display love in the best way possible. That second point there saying that getting relationship right doesn't only affect us, it changes everything around us. So I just wanted to, let's quickly digress into sex just for a second. Our culture has created a hyper-sexualization of everything around us. I was watching a football game yesterday, and there's this old Doritos commercial that's like going around where um, they just imply a sexual action with the Doritos commercial. I mean, if you watch the Super Bowl, I'm sure you'll see things that are sexualized. You'll see the halftime show full of sexualized content. Um, it's all around us. To the point that you might not even actually recognize it until you go like, so, wait a second, Every, everything around me is. A lot of times the ads on your phone, if you're playing a video game as a guy, I can say the ads on your phone for other games or something have a sexualized, um, promiscuous idea around it. Uh, social media ads will prey on this. Pinterest plays play on this a lot. It's, it's in marketing and it's in communications throughout our world because it works. Because when our brains see something in that way, it's really easy to go, we just start to walk down this path of, um, of pleasure, of like our flesh, of the things that like God always intended to be very good, but the world has quickly taken advantage of and made into something that they weren't meant to be. The one thing that I want you to take away from this idea of um, sexualized content and culture all around you is that um, your brain works in a way that keeps you coming back for more. So if you study psychology for any amount of time, you'll notice uh, this idea called pleasure pathways. They're really, it's a straightforward idea. It works in any, any form of psychology. It has nothing to do with sexual temptation or sexual desire at all. It could have to do with food. It could have to do with um, athleticism even. If you work out at the gym every day and you skip a day, your body goes like, wait, what? I'm missing something. You skip another day. Wait, what? I'm missing something. Right? Because you've created this pleasure pathway of the endorphins in your body getting released when you work out, when you exercise. Maybe you take pre-workout before you work out. All of a sudden, you'll be craving that too because of the your body craves the chemicals that it helps to release and create within your body, right? In the same way, sexual temptation and sexual desire plays out, right? 
So you see an ad on your phone and you click on it and you go down a little bit further, or you follow an Instagram account that more or less isn't beneficial to you in any way. And this goes both ways, both for guys and girls. I know oftentimes pornography and addiction to pornography and things like it are, are heavily um, weighted towards our male population, but um, statistics would say that that's not necessarily the case. So don't feel shame if you're a girl that struggles with this. It's totally normal. Just because you're a human being, right? Just because something that God always intended to be perfectly good and only between one person and another has been so perverted into something far worse. I struggled with pornography from a very young age and it wasn't because uh, someone showed me amazing. It wasn't because I was exposed to some video that some crazy relative showed to me at one point. It was because I saw an ad in the back of a magazine that was like hunting and fishing, like North American fishermen or something. I saw an ad in the back of a magazine for like, uh, I can't even remember exactly what it was. There's always ads in the back of these magazines targeted towards men that are for Viagra or something along those lines, something to help stimulate your sex life. Right, I saw this ad and it was, it was just inappropriate. It was just like a girl looking in a seductive way, right? And it had my, it got my mind thinking. And the next thing you know, I was looking up this company because I was interested if there was maybe more. And this was from an, an incredibly young age. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. But it created this pleasure pathway in my brain that even though I, I wasn't actively viewing, watching, Googling all the time, as soon as I had an opportunity to step into that space at all, I would like run after it before I would even put a check in my spirit. Because I enjoyed the way it made me feel, even to the point that I enjoyed um, the nervousness like that I had that someone might like notice what I'm doing, like a parent or something. And it creates like a very scary road and a dynamic way of the way you view relationships looking forward. Because all of a sudden you stop viewing people as people and you start viewing people as just objects for your own use. Whether that just be in your brain or, or maybe into an adult that it would lead to something else, right? But it's just a very dangerous road to head down. So without continuing on for too long uh, down this idea, I just want to encourage you that uh, I'll, I'll wrap up my story with this, this one anyways, um, to help it become more real. I'm no longer addicted to pornography because Jesus is really good, but I continued down this road of pleasure pathways to the point of convincing my parents that I needed a tablet so that I could like read books. I needed like a, like a Kindle Fire so I could read books regularly. And it led to me uh, finding stuff on the internet that I shouldn't have and like then regularly accessing it and communicating with other individuals and all of the things that you can do, right? In doing so, one night my mom walked into my room in like the middle of the night. It was like midnight. She should not have been awake. But the, she would say to this day that the Holy Spirit woke her up and told her that there was something wrong in her house. She came into my room and noticed the bright screen that was glowing way past my bedtime. I say bedtime because I was like 6th or 7th grade at the time. So I was in bed by 10.30 or something. And uh, also homeschooled. I know it's not normal. I was. And she says, Cole, what are you doing? I was like, quick, 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 reading a book, reading a book. 
I'm just reading a book. This is just a really interesting book. I think it was like Tom Sawyer or something. It's interesting if you're ever in like sexual situations that are unhealthy or unclean, you will remember every detail because your brain is wired to do that. Um, but all of a sudden, I just came over this huge amount of guilt. And she took the, the tablet, and to this day, I don't actually know what she saw when she looked through it. I, I think I covered my tracks. I don't really know. But she found things that she knew were, were wrong, and she knew what I was doing was wrong. But she started to pray for me. And I started to pray for me. And I started to be like, oh, crap, like, like this is an opportunity both um, to be done and get out of this mess that I had created for myself, this alternate reality to the kid that would show up for church and praise and worship on a Wednesday night and then on a Thursday night or a Thursday morning would be um, viewing and participating in pornography or anything like that. Right? So in that praying, it, it, it took three days that I was like dead with guilt um, and full of shame. And then all of a sudden, uh, it was like a Wednesday or Thursday night that this happened. And on Sunday morning, I came forward for prayer at church and I just said like, hey, I'm struggling with this stuff. I have this going on. And they laid hands on me and they prayed over me. And from that moment forward, I, I didn't have the urge to look at pornography any longer. The Lord just took that, that pleasure pathway that had been created in my brain and completely removed it. Does that necessarily mean that, it, that it's easy all the time? No, not, not at all. Um, and marriage doesn't fix that either. But it does mean that God's good enough to step into those moments and those emotions and those situations and just, like, fix them. It's not everyone's story, and some people have to battle it like the addiction that it is. But I truly believe that he has every intention of um, breaking that and helping you walk with it, with success in that way. Uh, but to continue forward here, we're going to go th uh, through a couple more slides, and then we'll be uh, kind of wrapping up. And we'll leave you to your small groups to have some further discussion around this idea um, there's two ways that we can view sexuality and sex in our world. There's more than two ways. There's two ways we're going to look at it tonight. We can view sex as God, or we can view sex as a gift. It's really hard talking about sex as a gift to a bunch of students in high school because you're thinking down the road, uh, maybe four or five years, six years, seven, eight years, you might actually be able to have sex as a gift in a marriage, right? So we won't go too far down that road, but I will tell you that it's really easy to view sex and things um, that are sexualized as God. It's really easy to change our self-image into God if our self-image has anything to do with how we want ourselves to be perceived sexually by the other gender. Whether this be a, a, a cute boy or a cute girl or whatever. That can change the way that you react, that you look, that you change your hair, that you dress. To the point of being unhealthy, right? To the point that you are, in a way, prioritizing your, the humanity of sex over the God that created it. So, just one scripture reference that we're going to look at really quickly. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to it. We've probably read it already this year. Because um, it just works in a lot of different ways. But... We talk about this in worship services all the time. It's Romans 12, starting in verse 1, where we say, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. But let's back up a little bit. 
to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So it's really easy to offer our bodies as anything to, to anyone in any situation. And I'm in no way like saying that our student body as a whole struggles with this or has a problem or you're all just like having sex with everybody you see. Like That's not the point here. It's that as you move forward throughout your life and you encounter relationships, um, both romantic and not, it's very, very important that you realize uh, that you can create that relationship even into God. Whether you be offering your body in any way, shape, or form, or you just offer more of your time and attention to that relationship. Quickly, the relationship can, can become like God to you. One thing that I uh, made note of while I was in study for this um, Keep going. No. One thing that I made note of while I was in study for this, and that challenged me, is it said, who, who is the first person that you contact when you wake up? When I was dating in high school, in college, the first person that I would text was my girlfriend, my fiance. Who's the first person that you turn to that you contact? Just think about it in your head for a second. Maybe it's different every day, and that's good for you because you're not stuck on that one person. But how often is it actually God? How often is the first person that we contact God and not ourselves even? Overcoming an unhealthy sense of self or even a poor self-image in order to view God at, at the center of our lives and relationships is really difficult. But what if we made it as simple as like, who am I contacting the most? Is it my friends around me, my boyfriend, girlfriend, or is it God? Because even now in, in, in this season of my life where I'm married and have a child and can talk to my spouse as much as I want to, like it's not bad, and not that it's bad if you're talking to your boyfriend or girlfriend as much as you want to, but you get the idea, right? I don't talk to God as much as I talk to my wife. Ask Jessica. She will, I mean, she calls me like three or four times a day, at a minimum. And if we're like working in the office separately, then we're texting back and forth, which is great, like good communication, right? Should my communication with God not be like all the more? What if with the idea of, of the Bible verse that says pray without ceasing, what if it doesn't mean that we're supposed to pray constantly? And this is my paraphrase, so I'll take it as gospel, but what if it just means that we're supposed to communicate with God more than anyone else? What if it means that when God leaves our mind for any minute or moment, or we ask him to leave our lives while we look into something or... Um, do something with someone that we're not supposed to, that that's when we're not praying without ceasing, that that's when we're not in communion and community with God. To the best of our ability, right? Here's a few different things that culture says about sexuality and sex. First is that sex is normal. And this is really true. It actually is. But sex outside of marriage isn't the way that God intended it, and it isn't supposed to be normal the way that our society has made it to be. 
Secondly is have sex often. Also true within marriage, but not true outside of marriage. And culture continues to say that it is normal and okay and should always be the case. It says don't get married without having sex. This is a new one for me that I like didn't realize is so popular. Um, social media, wherever that I was doing research slash just living my life and looking through things, I came across a thread on Twitter that that was the headline. Don't get married without having sex. Had like a billion likes and clicks and views or whatever. Maybe not a billion, but like it's a popular idea. People think that that is what God intended for sex, that it was a way to like try out a partner. Not at all what God intended for sex. And can lead to so much comparison and guilt and shame when you do end up having that permanent partner because all of a sudden you've had all of these other ones before that person. Um, Culture often will say, especially Christian culture, that touching the other person inappropriately isn't sex. I believed that lie for a long time when I was dating. That that wasn't sex. That that wasn't inappropriate. That that was something that you could do. But that's not what God intended for your dating relationships. He wants you to grow in community with that person, with him at the center. Watching porn isn't sex. In many ways, uh, pornography is essentially a way of having sex, right? Whether you um, participate that in that further than just watching it, right? Um, and then lastly, on this list, because I've believed this lie for a long time too, is that sexing really isn't sex. And we're not going to dive into these all and explain them all. And I think that you know, for the most part, what the alternative to this would be. That yes, those things are wrong. Or that yes, that is sex. And yes, that does maybe cause more harm than it ever could good, right? But the thing that I want you to think back on is if you were here last week, we said um, we had this, this one phrase. And I don't actually think that it's right there, but... This is the the point from before. But let's just think back on this for a second, right? Last week, the main point was that God wants his very best for you. In every circumstance and in every way. What does it look like to have God's very best in our lives? What does it look like to be submitted to his very best? I truly believe that each one of you in this room represent... um, a whole generation of people who want to encounter and know a God that is true and full of love and life for you. But it's so easy to believe all of the lies and all of the ways that culture has been full of, of sexual situations in, in TV shows that just make sex normal and all these different things that it becomes really hard to live a life outside of it. So I just want to encourage you that God wants his very best from you. And as you step into relationships in the future, you have to expect that a relationship does take work, that it takes time, that it takes intentionality. It takes all of the things that we've talked about. It takes being an example of Christ to those people. It takes a 1 Corinthians 13 love. That a true relationship doesn't end in goosebumps. It ends in tears. As you fight for that person and for the thing that you feel between them, between each other. The love that you feel for that person. 
approach like love. 